friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, but God is working, and God is moving. Amen. And I'm grateful. And uh, God's been moving. He's been moving in our church. And I am, I am in awe. Uh, many people on the outside looking in would say that we're in revival. People are giving their hearts to Jesus. People are being healed and set free and restored. Chains are bro- being broken off people's lives. Church, we're in revival. People are hungry and thirsty for God. Amen? People want to know God. They want to experience Him. And He's been answering. He's been moving and Sunday mornings, he's been moving. His spirit's been thick in this place. Wednesday nights, we've had encounters with the Holy Spirit that's radically transforming. People's bodies have literally been healed in, a, in moments as we've been praying. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Encouraged. Words of knowledge and, and wisdom spoken over people's lives. Because the Holy Spirit is saying, I love you. I see you. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. I haven't forgotten you. And I'm going to answer you when you call out to me. And he's been moving powerfully. And I've seen so many of you have a heart and a a longing to draw closer to Jesus. Would you say that's you this morning? You have a heart, you have a desire to know the Lord. Maybe maybe for some some of you, you're you're still on the outside looking in, but you're saying, what is going on here? What's happening here? What's this that I'm feeling? What is this that I'm sensing? It's the Holy Spirit drawing you. One One of the jobs, one of the roles the Holy Spirit plays in the world is to draw us to Jesus, to put a desire in us, to long for Him, something greater than anything we could have experienced. On this world, in this world, and, uh, and, and, and he's been doing that. And over these last several weeks, God has been working in us in profound ways. He's been calling us higher into places of him. He's been refining us. He's been purifying us because he has a desire to do work in us. And he wants us to carry the gospel, carry the good news to every place that we go. He wants to embolden us. I love that the, both ladies said, I felt confidence in who I am, who God is. That's what God is doing. He's building your confidence in Him. So your, your identity comes from Him. Not from the world, not from what you do, but being in Him. It's His, it's his desire for you to know Him. And when you know Him, you can do what He's called you to do. And that's what He's been working. He's been calling us to higher places. He's, he's been calling us to remove the hidden things. Expose the hidden things so that He can cover them and purify them, wash us clean. Even some things that we didn't even know that we had in our own lives, he's been removing. And we thought, I remember my dad's been saying, God, something God did to me on a Wednesday. I don't even know what he took out of me, but he took out something. I feel different. There's some things that God's doing in your lives you don't even know that you needed. Because he knows you better than you know yourself. And so this whole time, as we've been desiring to draw closer to God and having a desire to be more intentional with him, We've seen our prayer, prayer life increase. I don't know about you, but it, my prayer, my desire to be with God in prayer is increasing. My hunger for His Word is increasing. My desire to worship Him and to serve and to love others and to be generous is increasing. He's even speaking to me as I'm going through, through uh, my day and He's telling me to be generous to people. And it's increasing. And all at the same time, and maybe you can relate to this, At the same time, my desire for him is increasing. It also seems like the battle against 
my family and health and other issues is also increasing. My desire for God is, is, is increasing, and at the same time, I feel like there's more attack than ever before. Is anybody experiencing that? There's more stress. There's more pressure. Things aren't going as smoothly as they used to. Used to do something and it would just fall into place, but now I have to put more effort into it, more time, more energy. I get more frustrated, more easily. Some of us are facing serious attacks on our health, on our mental health, on our family, on our finances, and our family members. Just this past week, my whole family got the stomach flu or some type of stomach bug. So much puke, y'all. So much. It was, it was, it was disturbing, to say the least. And uh, I had the privilege and the honor of not getting sick, which meant I took care of it all, had to help. And luckily, my mother-in-law came down to help us on Friday. I got puked on more than ever, pooped on. And these were the trials and the tribulations I had to face. And I kept praying, God, don't let me get sick because I got a word for the people. And who's going to preach it if not me? I told my dad, can you read my notes? Because you might have to preach this if I, if I get sick on Saturday night. And it seems like all of these things, it's interesting that as our desire for God increases, so too does the attack on our lives. Does that sound familiar? So I believe that the Lord has a word of encouragement for us today. And it happens to be out of what we've been reading through our reading plan as we've been going through the year. I think we're on day 180-something, 182, 188, 185. We're going through it almost 200 days into the Scripture. And God's been speaking to us, and I love how as we've been reading through this, God is speaking to our present situation as we read through this plan. And as I was reading, God began to speak to me. So we're going to go to the text this morning out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's right after. If you said 1 Chronicles, that's correct. 2 Chronicles follows 1 Chronicles. We're going to be going, I'm going to read through the chapter, I'm going to pull out parts and we're going to highlight a few of those things, so we're going to park right there, so if you have your Bibles, turn there, if you have a smartphone, open up, if you have a YouVersion Bible app or another app on your phone to read scripture, I want you to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. As you're turning there, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your presence. We are grateful, Holy Spirit that you are speaking to us. We are grateful, God, that you're moving. And God, we are grateful for your word. That God, you've given it to us as a testimony of your goodness. And God, we want to learn as much as we can about you from your word today. Speak to us, encourage us, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive what you have in store for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Are you ready? Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse 1. After this, say after this. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with some of the 
Minuites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazaron Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now, if you know, if you've been reading through the scripture with us, you know Jehoshaphat is the son of Asa. He's the king of Judah. The Bible describes him also as a man who did good what was in the sight of the Lord. But some things came down in his life, chapter 18, 19, and 20, speak about King Jehoshaphat. And there's, a, there's a, that phrase in the beginning of this chapter, chapter 20, that says, after this. So we have to know what after this means. So in chapter 19, we see Jehoshaphat, he decides that he, he is going to go throughout his kingdom and draw, the Bible says, draw the people's hearts back to God. He does that because in chapter 18, he went up because the king of, of Israel, Ahab, said, hey, go to war with me. And he said, let's, let's get some counsel for some prophets of the Lord. Should we go to war or not? And they tell him, oh, yeah, but they're all speaking falsely. And finally, he hears one that says, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't be here. And he goes to war anyway, and he nearly dies in battle. Because the enemy, the enemy camp says, don't worry about anybody else. Just go after the king. And the king of Israel disguised himself, and he let king, king uh, Jehoshaphat still, still wear his kingly garments, so the entire army started pursuing after him, and he ran for his life and nearly died and just escaped. So then when he comes back in, he gets rebuked and corrected for fighting on behalf of someone who hates God. So when it says, after this, it's saying a lot in those two words. Because after this means he felt conviction after his near-death experience. I shouldn't have done what I was doing. Anybody have any of those moments? Anybody have a near-death experience and you thought, what am I doing? I remember I was an electrician uh, apprentice in college. And I'd come out to Wolf Electric, shout out in Madeira if you need any electrical work. Wolf, Wolf Electric will help you out. And I remember coming out and... They gave me the job, and they had me on uh, doing, actually, all the apartments right across the road. I was doing all the electrical. So, Lord, don't let there be a fire. <laughs> the reason why they had me, some guy who was pretty inexperienced, do it is because the prevailing wage was so low they couldn't pay anybody else. So they said, this kid in college is starving. He'll do it for whatever, you know, pennies. So I was doing the electrical work, and I shut off the panel. And you're supposed to put a note there, but I thought, no one's in here. So I'm going to just shut the power off. I'm going to go around. I was putting in a garbage disposal. I went back in. I had to do some stuff. Then I had to climb a ladder and put, uh, hang a light. And at that time, somebody came in and turned the power back on. So I was up there adjusting and uh, putting in lights, and I happened just to touch the wires at the right moment. And my tongue felt fuzzy. And I was like, and I let go. And I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> It was a near-death near experience for me that shifted my perspective on that moment to think, maybe I should do what they tell me to do, put a note on there saying, electrical work happening, right? There's sometimes God gives us the ability to have warnings before the worst-case scenario happens. Jehoshaphat had one of those moments. He went into battle against the advice 
that he sought after the Lord, had a near-death experience, felt the conviction of God. He comes back to his territory. The prophet comes to him and says, what you did was wrong. You shouldn't have done it. He felt conviction. He came back. He received correction. You did wrong. He listened. And then what his response was in chapter 18 or chapter 19 was, let's seek after God. This is a perfect example of what it looks like to obey the voice of the Lord in your own life. So you're going to be going through some stuff. You're going to feel conviction of the Holy Spirit because He loves you. You're going to be doing some stuff you ought not to do that might, is leading you down the path of death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Because the Bible tells us that, that the wages of sin is death. You're going to have some near-death encounters and death experiences. You're going to feel conviction. And you even have people in your life that's going to come and bring you some correction. Say, hey, God doesn't want you to do that. Maybe even this morning is your moment for correction. That God is telling you, hey, the way you're living your life, the what you're doing in private and in public is not pleasing the Lord. You need to have a change of heart. And like Jehoshaphat, he then listened after he felt the conviction. He listened to the correction. He began to pursue God. And he began to do that. In deeper and more meaningful ways, he went across Judah telling people, we're pursuing after the true God. Hey, that, the gods that we were looking for, the idols that we were serving, they're trash. We're going to pursue after the one true God. And began to lead others to seek, to seek after God. And then we get into chapter 20 after this. This is his experience. It sounds a lot like those who come to faith in Jesus after you felt conviction and you received correction and now you're pursuing after God, after this, the enemy attacks. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Minuites, I think that's interesting, coming up from Edom. Those were, that was, that was just as a little side note, that was family. That was family, Edom. The Meunites. Did I say Mennonites? No? The Minunites? I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Whatever. The somethingites were attacking them and they were cousins. They were coming after them. I think that's interesting too. Some of you, you're going to be pursuing after God and the people that are going to be most against you are going to be your family members. Say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, this is not how you normally act. Hey come, hey, come hang out with us. We're having parties. We're doing this. Come be with us. Why are you acting different? Why are you being different? You're going to feel attacked, but they're not your enemy because our, our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and high places that are seeking to your own demise. And after this, after, they just, after Jehoshaphat decided to pursue God, the, the enemy attacks. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The enemy will always attack after there has been conviction, correction, and pursuit. He'll always come on the attack when you have felt conviction, correction, and you decide to pursue after God. The enemy is now on high alert to bring an attack against your life. So some of you, you've decided, I'm going to pursue God in more intentional and intimate ways. And in that desire to seek after him, the enemy is on high alert against your life. And some things that you're experiencing right now is because you've decided, I'm going to pursue Jesus more than anything else. See, the enemy wants to come in. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to even blame God for what you're going through. All so that he can defeat and destroy you. I know people who've 
who've, who've served their, with their whole hearts to pursue after God, and then they come, un, they come uh, under some type of infirmity or sickness or somebody in their family, and they say, why am I pursuing God, and this is all falling apart? It must be God's fault, and they turn away. That's what the enemy does. He always, he always seeks to fight after you when you've decided to pursue after God. It's a tactic he's had even way back with God's people in the Old Testament. Nothing's new for him. He's not creative, actually. He's a copycat and a punk. So verse, verse 3 says this, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Say afraid. This horde was coming after him. He was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek him, to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. See, the Bible says Jehoshaphat was afraid or he feared. And some of us, when we read that, we can think that it's only speaking about the, the enemy army that's coming up against him. See, so he had partial fear of the horde because it was a real thing. There were a real military force that was coming to destroy him and to rob him, to plunder all his goods and take his family away and destroy his cities. But the greater fear that Jehoshaphat had, if you read through the text, is that he had a greater fear of the Lord than of the, the, of the attack that was coming from the enemy. Well, let me explain. Because in chapter 18, as he participated with Ahab in a war that he should not be in fighting against, he was rebuked in chapter 19, and he said, uh, th there is a consequence coming for your actions. And the, the prophet said, oh, but yet there's still good in you. There's still, God is still going to work in you, but he feared that this horde could be the punishment that was delayed for him. He, he thought, I sinned against God. I shouldn't have done it. After, after wise counsel told me not to, I still did it anyway. I almost lost my life. I was told there are going to be consequences for my actions. Maybe this is the consequence of my action. And he feared but his response was one of wisdom because he thought, if this is from the Lord, then I should run to the Lord because he's the only one who's the solution for whatever I might be facing. So if this thing that's coming at me is from the enemy, God is my only help. And if this thing is a consequence of my own sin and it's a punishment towards me, God is the one who can still redeem me from this punishment. See, it's interesting to me that as we go through life, we go through hardships and we blame God when God is the only solution we have for whatever we might be facing. Whether it's a consequence of our own actions or we're victims of circumstances of things upon us or the fact that we live in a fallen, sinful world, we should never blame God. We should always run to Him because He's the only one who has the solution to the things that we're facing. So Jehoshaphat feared and he sought after the only God who could rescue him. And as I, as I was writing this, I sensed this in my spirit that some of us might be in that same place today. Some of us have decided to seek after the Lord, but our past starts to haunt us. See, we want to press into him because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but the enemy now is on the attack, and you have fear that your past has or will catch up with you. That happens in a couple cases. Let me explain. The first one is that there's some stuff, mistakes of your past, maybe even people that used to run, run around with 
things that you used to do that you're saying, I can't be around those people or that circumstances anymore. God is calling me out of that, but there's some threat of your past that still exists, and you're wondering, is that going to catch up with me because I'm no longer living that life that I used to live? And it's a very real threat. And you're thinking, are those people going to come after me because I know too much and I know what's going on in their lives? It's a very real threat. The other one is this. It's a spiritual thing that's happening. There's a, you've received victory. You've gained victory over things that you were doing and you couldn't find freedom of, from in your past. But now you have victory, but it seems pretty fresh. And the enemy would come to you and say, you never really got free. You're just pretending. What you were doing two months ago, three months ago, two weeks ago uh, has not really been broken. You've just been faking it the last couple of weeks. You're going to go right back into it again. You don't have victory. And you're wondering, I'm pursuing God, but is my past still going to catch up with me? It's still haunting me. Am I going to fall back into that stuff again? The past is calling my name. And in those moments, what are we supposed to do? See, the enemy is speaking to you. You've just come out of sin, and now it's calling your name. And you think it's going to defeat you. The enemy is saying, you don't have victory over that thing. You can't get free. Your past will catch up with you. All of the attempts to get you to turn your back and give up and give in. But can I tell you somebody this morning that God has a better answer and a better solution for you? And he is your present help in time of need. And I found the solution when those things begin to happen. And it's in Jehoshaphat's response to the horde that was just outside his borders as he began to pray to God. Here's my question. If you're writing down notes, I want you to write this down. What do we do when the enemy comes knocking? When our past comes calling you back? What do you do when you feel the past trying to catch up with you? And it's found in Jehoshaphat's response in chapter 20, his prayer, verses 12 through 16. What do you do in those moments? When you're pursuing God and now the enemy is on the attack, the first one, it's simple, but it's profound. Number one is to pray. Say pray. pray. See, there's something powerful in prayer, something powerful that it happens as we seek God's face in prayer. Jehoshaphat is facing an enemy of three different nations coming to destroy him, and he doesn't say, ready the horses and sharpen your swords. He says, get on your faces and let's pray. Because he understood who his God was and what his God could do. But we don't just pray any prayer. I want you to pray like Jehoshaphat did. And this is what he prayed. This is how he prayed. He begins with God of our fathers. He says, God of all heaven and all nations, all power and might are yours. What is he doing? In his prayer, he is establishing the authority of God. He was establishing the authority of God. See, back then, every nation thought they had their own gods. And when they went to war, and if they defeated somebody else, they said, our God defeated their God. And every nation boasted about their God and about how their God was powerful in war. And Jehoshaphat is saying, no, 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 there's one God, and he's over all nations. That was a profound statement. It's still profound today. Our God is the God of all nations. 
There's not a nation that, worship, that is a, a Muslim nation or a Buddhist nation. They might be deceived by their God, but our God reigns supreme over all nations. And, he is, and Jehoshaphat in his prayer is establishing the authority of God, not only over his own life and over his own people, but over the enemy as well. You are God over that enemy that comes to take our own life. And as you pray and the enemy is rising up against you, you set the standard of the authority of God over the enemy's attack on your life. God, this addiction is not king. You're king. God, this pain is not, uh, is not the ruler supreme. You are. You reign over all. You have authority over this and the thing that I'm facing. Jehoshaphat establishes the authority of God. So when you pray, pray God's authority. The next thing that Jehoshaphat did, he prayed this prayer. He said, as he begins to quote King Solomon, he's praying outside the temple that Solomon built, his great-great-great-grandfather. And he begins to quote him. He says, did our, not, our God drive out these inhabitants? Did not our God drive out these inhabitants as we moved into the land? Did, did God not, didn't you do all of this? Weren't you the one who conquered all of these uh, people for us and give us this land? He is establishing that it was God who overcame the enemy for them, not themselves. He is saying, God, it was your mercy and your grace that gave us freedom in the first place. So if we're going to have freedom again from this, it's going to be your mercy and your grace that it's established your kingdom in my life again. So when you pray, you establish the authority of God over the thing that you're facing, and then you say to God, God, I remember where you brought me from, and this thing that I'm facing again, the only solution is going to be you again. So when you pray, you pray God's authority, and then you pray God's grace and his mercy. You remind God, and really you're reminding yourself what God has done for you before, he can do it again. Whatever you might be facing, whatever attack, might, whether it's financial, mental, emotional, uh, relational, whatever attack might be, you begin to pray over that thing, God's authority and God's grace and his mercy, because that's the only thing that's going to overcome the enemy on your behalf. You didn't set yourself free from sin. God set you free from sin. You didn't give yourself victory. God gave you the victory. Jehoshaphat begins to pray it. Did, it, did you not, our God, drive out these inhabitants? Wasn't you who did this for us, can you do it again? Can you do it again? And then, we, then he says, we cry out in our affliction. This is where he's directly quoting King Solomon. When King Solomon built the temple, he said, God, we will worship you in this place. And if ever a time, Lord, where, where our people stray away and they begin to pursue other things, draw us back to this place. And if we will cry out in our affliction, you will hear from heaven and you will heal us and deliver us. And so Jehoshaphat remembers what his great-great-grandfather said. And said, you said that when this temple was built, God, this would be a place that we could run to you and you would hear us and you would deliver us. He recalled the promise of deliverance even in their stumbling and their falling. When the, when the enemy comes to attack you and, and your family is coming under attack and you're facing some things in your life, not only are you praying God's authority and you're praying for His mercy and His grace, but you're also praying God's promise. You pray God's promise. 
God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And in moments you feel the most alone and the most depressed and the most anxious, you pray that prayer. God, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. And I know that you're a God who keeps his word. You cannot lie. So I'm going to remember and I'm going to believe that you will never leave me. You said that you would walk with me. You said that you would deliver me. You said that you would cleanse me. You said that you would pour out your righteousness over me. That God, you have, that you have brought me from death to life. I'm no longer that person who used to do those things. I'm new in you. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. These are his promises he's given to you. When the enemy comes knocking on your door and the past comes trying to track you down again, you bring this promise back and you say, this is the God who said he would do exceedingly abundantly more than ever I could ask for or imagine. And you pray that prayer. Jehoshaphat remembered, God, you said if we were in trouble, we could come to you and you would deliver us. And he prayed God's promise. You need to pray God's promise. Finally, Jehoshaphat said this in his prayer. Some theologians say this is most, the most profound prayer found in the Old Testament. I would encourage you to go back and read it. Chapter 20, verses 12 through 16. He ends it with this. He says, we are powerless and don't know what to do. Can you imagine a king standing in front of his people saying, I'm powerless and I don't have the answers we're looking for? What does that take? It takes humility. Can you imagine a father standing in front of his family saying, I don't know what we've got to do. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't have the answers, but I know the one who does. We need people to walk in humility, not in pride. When we pray, we say, God, I don't have the answers. But Jehoshaphat ends his prayers with, but our eyes are fixed on you. Our eyes are fixed on you. Our eyes are on you and you alone. You're the one who can deliver us. You're the one who can sustain us. You're the one who provides for us. You're our help and our, our, our very present help in time of need. You're the one we're looking to. We're powerless. We don't have the answers, but our eyes are on you. When you pray, pray with humility. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ. These are going to help you when the enemy comes knocking on your door, which he will if he hasn't done already, because you've determined, I'm going to seek God with all, all that's in me. I'm tired of continuing to loop back around. I'm going to, I'm going to plug in. I'm going to go for it, because God is pouring out his spirit in this house. He is pouring out his spirit on you in profound ways, in supernatural ways. And you're saying, I want more of the Lord. I want, like Michelle was saying, I didn't know God was really real. I didn't know if I believed, but then he, she had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. God wants to encounter you, and he wants to pour out his spirit on you. But the enemy is going to come knocking, and he's going to come attacking. So you pray God's authority. You pray God's mercy and grace. You pray his promises, and you pray with humility, and your eyes fixed on Christ. And after you pray, here's what's profound. I'm giving you very simple things, but we need to put them into practice. I can say pray, but we got to do it. The second thing is this, we have to wait. We have to wait. Waiting is the hardest thing to do. Those of you who know me know I'm not a good waiter. I'm not very patient. 
And yet it says in verse 13, Meanwhile, while Jehoshaphat was crying out to God, all of Judah, say all. It says they stood before the Lord. This is what I love. That God had the intention of putting this in Scripture for us to read over 2,000 years later, over 3,000 years later. Who did they wait with? Their little ones. Their wives and their children. Why do we worship with our children? Because we want to teach them what it means to wait in God's presence. We're not off trying to seek God on our own. No, we wait with our family. With our friends. With our loved ones. We do it together. Why? Because there's power in the waiting. Say, I would encourage you to wait. Because who you wait with matters. Because you're going to get sometimes surrounded with people who are telling you to move on when God's telling you to wait. People who don't have your interest at heart, people who aren't listening, uh, listening to God for you, and they're going to say, why are you still messing around over here? Why are you still doing this? Why are you still in this place? Because God's called me to wait. And if they're not with you in that, and they're telling you to move on, that's going to, that's going to try to draw you out of where God wants you to stay. It's important that we don't surround ourselves with people who are going to cause us to move before God tells us to go. Before he's responded to us. We have to learn how to wait. We have to learn to be in his presence. That's what he's been doing on Wednesday nights in this place. We've been learning to, to be in his presence. We've been sitting in his presence. We've been basking in his presence. We've not just been going through the songs and through the motions and then saying, no, all right, we're done, let's go on. No, we're saying, Holy Spirit, you're here. What do you want to do? And even in your own private lives, I would encourage you to get alone with God, put some worship music on, and just wait and listen. Because you're learning to love his presence. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Some of you need to be in his presence because you've been heavy. Life has been so heavy on you, you've forgotten what joy feels like. And, and, and Jesus is saying, I'll give you the joy that you're looking for if you learn to love my presence. Because in my presence... I'll fill you up with joy. I don't know about you, but that's what I need today. So I've learned something. I don't know if you can tell or not. I got a new workout regimen. <laughs> and before, and I don't want to knock anybody, and I, have, and I love this type of workout, and I have friends that still do it faithfully. But before, I was doing a lot of CrossFit workout. And it's, if, you've never, if you've ever done that before, it's like heavy lifts, Olympic lifts, and cardio. Are like just, You're just like... Until you puke. Like, it's just, I mean, I had, it was basically like my kids were doing CrossFit this week just because they're puking everywhere. But I, I'm not trying to knock it, but I, that's how I always did workouts. And so I would just go and I would do like 20 minutes as fast as I could till I almost puked and I'd be like done and gassed and I'd lay on the floor and I'd have my sweat angel on the ground, you know. But I started this with a, a new workout regimen with personal training and I, the first time I worked out with him, I did, I did uh, my set, and we combined two sets together of two different exercises, and then I went to go start the other one. He goes, whoa, 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 slow down. I said, slow down? No, no, I, like, we got to go. Like, should I be doing, doing jumping jacks right now or burpees? What should I be doing? He's like, you, you need to rest. I said, I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. I'm trying to get guns. I'm trying to get gains. What are you doing? <laughs> he says, no, you got to slow down because here's what's important. While you rest, your muscles recover. You actually get stronger. And that you're more prepared for your next set. And you can go at it with the same veracity as you did the first set in your second and your third and your fourth if you'll wait 
And that was hard for me. I said, how long do I got to wait? Like 30 seconds? It's like, that's not waiting. <laughs> that's breathing. You need to learn to wait. And now two, three minutes, I want you to wait before you move on to the next thing. And it was hard for me. And now even as I work out in my garage, I got my, my after I finished that last set, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, three minutes. What do I do? I'm like walking the driveway. My neighbors are like, this guy's crazy, six in the morning. I'm like, how you doing? I'm just waiting. I'm learning to wait. But it was beautiful because as I began to do that, the Lord began to speak to me. He says, that's what I want you to do in your spirit. I want you to learn how to wait because I'm making you stronger in the waiting. There's a song by Maverick City that talks about waiting on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will rise on wings like the eagles. There is strength in the waiting. See, God wants to grow you in the waiting. There's power in the waiting. He wants you to learn to wait on him. And who you wait with matters. Continuing on through the chapter, verses 15 through 17, the word of the Lord comes to the people after, guess what? They waited. God spoke after the waiting. Isn't that interesting? They prayed, then they waited. So when we pray, it's a conversation with God. Anybody have a conversation with a friend who never waits for a response? It's not a conversation. It's a monologue. You're like, hey, am I ever going to get a word in here? We have a family member who I won't mention. Every time this person calls, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? End of conversation. That's all I got. That's, I said good, and that's the end of my conversation. I'm all, it's another 25 minutes of all about their life. I'm like, that's awesome. Well, good to talk to you. Goodbye. It's not a conversation. I'm glad I could catch up with that person, but sometimes we need to have conversation for there to be friendship and intimacy and relationship. Maybe I should have said that. Take this off the internet. <laughs> but after they waited, verse 15 through 17, the word of the Lord comes. Aren't you grateful that God is always faithful and always on time? He is faithful to deliver and he's faithful to respond to those who pray and wait. And what does he say? I love this word, and this is a word that God is going to also speak to your hearts if you've been praying and waiting. Verse 15, paraphrasing, it says, don't be afraid because the battle's not yours, but God's. Bless her, Lord. <laughs> don't be afraid. <laughs> Bless Christina today, Jesus. <laughs> this, yeah, yes, Lord, we, we see. But the prophet comes after the people have been waiting. They cry out. There's a, there's a huge military force coming after them. And he says, don't be afraid. This is not your fight. This is my fight. This is what he also tells them in the prophecy. He says, stand firm. Hold your position and watch God deliver and save you. Stand firm. Hold your position. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, hold your position and watch God. See, for the nation of Judah, God wanted their participation in the battle. Not to fight, 
but to stand firm. See, he wanted his people to say, we're not running from this, and we're not giving up any territory that doesn't belong to you, but we know the battle belongs to the Lord. See, God is calling you today to stand firm where he's called you, to hold your position, desiring to know him and pursue after him, and then watch God deliver you from every attack of the enemy. Stand firm. Stand firm. And I want to make sure that you understand what standing firm looks like. Standing firm, holding your position, how do you do that? My third point, with praise and worship. Praise and worship God. As you pray, as you wait, pray and worship Him. This is what verses 18 through 21 says. As Jehoshaphat says, okay, God's going to deliver. The battle belongs to him. So this is what we got to do. Get the worshipers. Get the worshipers. Could you imagine that happening today? Al-Qaeda's on the attack. Get the worshipers. Could you imagine? This is what he does. Real Real world situation he's in. Real men with real swords coming to destroy them and take their stuff. And he says, get the worshipers. Because this is a historical fact that gives us a spiritual reality for today. That God is saying, when a battle comes up against you, I'll fight it for you, but I need your participation. I want you to stand firm. You do it by praising me. I love it. He says, gather the worship. He said, all right, you're going to lead this song. You're going to worship. You're going to be the ones who are going out front. And it says they entered into the battle with praise on their lips. And this is what I think is the most profound verse in all of chapter 20. After the prayer and after the waiting and after the word of the Lord comes. Why is that so profound? Because they actually have to do it now. They actually have to do something about it. They actually have to obey it. Those of you who've grown up in Pentecostal circles and you've had people giving you words of prophecy and words of knowledge and spoken over your life, you're like, that's awesome. And then you go a week later and you're like, what did that guy say? What was that that I was supposed to do? No, they, they prayed. They waited. The word came to them and they said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And in verse 22, if you put that up there, it says this. And when they began to sing and praise... The Lord set an ambush against the enemy, against the the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come up against Judah, the people of God, and they were routed. As they began to worship him, God set the ambush. See, what we do on Sunday morning, we're worshiping God. We're not just singing catchy songs because we like the beat. No, we're setting an ambush against the enemy. As we worship him, we declare who he is and what he can do and who he is in our lives. We're praising him. He is working on our behalf against the enemy. Never get to a place where you're like, my life is too stressed out. It's too crazy. It's too chaotic. Things are too, I feel too much weight of depression and anxiety. I can't lift my hands. No, that's the way you're going to find deliverance. As you worship him, he'll set the ambush against the very attack that was meant to destroy you. 
I love it. Our praise establishes who God is in our lives, and it confuses the enemy. It confuses the enemy. The enemy is going, what am I, what am I hearing? They should be terrified right now. They should be hiding. I'm putting so much pressure on them. They should be collapsing under all of this pressure. And yet I hear something that is rattling my heart. And they're singing praise to the king. It confuses the enemy. How can they be praising God when they should be running in fear? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's power in your praise. There's power in your praise. Don't forget it. I don't care if you can sing beautifully for all to hear or you just make a sweet sound or a, a loud noise to the Lord. Let your praise be heard. Power in your praise. Why is there power in your praise? Because it says you know who God is. It says, you know what he, it says that you know what he can do. It says, I know what he's done before and he'll do it again. I know, I know what he said he would do for those who seek him and I'm going to trust him wholeheartedly. That's what your praise says. Now watch this in verses 24, 25 as we get, come uh, close to a close this morning. It says that the enemy turned on themselves and started fighting with themselves. Because there's so much confusion from the worship that was coming. They destroyed themselves. And all that was left was the plunder and the spoil of the enemy for the people of God to recover. The Bible tells us it took them three days to gather all the goods. See, that's the kind of God we serve, church. A God of the universe who takes an attack of the enemy, an attack that was supposed to destroy his people and cause it to be a blessing instead. A blessing that overflows for days. That's the kind of God we serve. So the attack that you might be coming up against or you'll, you'll be coming up against in the future or maybe there's something going on right now, God has the ability to turn that attack into a blessing whether you know it or not. God can do, can do the same thing for us today. Those of us who are willing to seek him and when we're under attack, to seek even more. Instead of giving up or giving in, we need to press in and press on into him. Amen? Concluding the chapter as the worship team comes. Verses 26 through 28 tell us that the people, after receiving so much spoil from the war that they didn't fight, after carrying back the victory they didn't have to fight for and bringing all the goods back, it says that they were praising and giving thanks to God with full gratitude in their hearts to Him. And I love that picture. And I want that to be a picture of our lives as we are facing battles in our lives and when attacks from the enemy come and when our past tries to catch up with us, we, we step into the battle with praise on our lips and we come out of the battle with praise on our lips. We go in 
and we come out worshiping the true king. Because he alone is worthy of praise. I love it. I just want to remind us, church, this morning that it's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus who delivers. It's Jesus who restores. It's Jesus who's our treasure. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our provision. Jesus is our future. Jesus is our forgiver. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our, is our most precious one that we'd be willing to give everything out for in pursuit of him. So let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's seek him. Let's talk to him. Amen. Oh, we love you, God. Whatever might come our way, whatever we might be facing today, let's seek after him. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As the worship team begins to play. I just want to encourage you to stop believing the lie of the enemy. Stop fearing the attack of the enemy that might be coming against you no matter how real it is or how real it feels. God is able to deliver you. God is able to deliver you and give you greater blessing and greater increase in him today. Amen. Would you just lift your hands? God, we want more of you today. We have decided in our hearts that whatever might come up against us, we will not turn our backs on you. We will press in to you. We will seek after you. When the enemy comes knocking, we're going to seek your face. We're going to wait on your word. And we're going to praise you. Come Holy Spirit right now. Begin to move over us. Over your people, God, this morning. Some of us, God, are wrestling with some major things, some major difficulties, some major attacks, God, on family, finances, our mental health, our physical health. And God, we need a deliverer. We need a Savior. So we turn our eyes to you and we seek you. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Begin to give your reassurance to your people. Begin to speak to their hearts right now in this moment. Healing is on its way. Deliverance is on its way. Freedom is on its way. God, come to speak to your people. Come speak to us this morning.
Oh, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. I want to pray for a couple of things this morning. I feel led to pray for, but first, before we get there, I want to give an opportunity for anybody who's here this morning who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you've never prayed this prayer, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, not just saying, I believe in Him, but are you following Him? There's a difference. The devils believe in Jesus. They're not saved. It's a desire to confess who He is and say, I'm going to follow after you. So if you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to surrender to him and say, I'm going to follow you. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus. If that's you here today and you feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit on your life, you feel him drawing you right now, don't fight him. Listen to him. I'm going to ask you right now, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus. One, two, three, right now. Raise your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow him. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I confess that you are the Son of God, that you came, lived a perfect life, died a sinless death, and three days later rose from the grave, and you ascended to the Father. I put my faith in you now, I put my trust in you now. Please forgive me. Change me. Make me more like you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me seek you every day of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, would you celebrate that God is redeeming And I want to pray for three areas. And if that's you this morning, I want you to come forward and we'll just pray together. There's three areas I felt led to pray for as I was writing. And it's the, I want to pray for your perseverance, for your protection, and for his power. These are the areas I want to pray for in your life. So if, there's, if, if that is something you desire prayer for, for perseverance, for protection, and for power, I want you to come forward right now as the worship team plays. Let's pray together. I'm believing that God is wanting to pour out over you and wanting to encourage you and strengthen you today. So worship team, let's begin to lead us. And as they do, come forward and we'll pray together. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.churchcenter.com.